Welcome to the Together PDX podcast. You're listening to our Gospel Gathering series, where we will be replaying valuable content from past events where local Portland leaders gathered to hear from authors, theologians, and scholars. We'd like to note that the views shared by our guests don't necessarily reflect those of the entire Together PDX team. We pray today's content enriches your day and spirit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Together PDX podcast gospel gathering series. I'm excited to bring you one more talk by Simon Ponsonby today, this time titled The Power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we have people from all backgrounds and expressions of following Jesus here at Together PDX. While Simon describes himself as a card-carrying charismatic, he did really say that, I think his message on the Holy Spirit will resonate with and challenge every person listening, no matter your personal bend on the gifts of the Spirit. I hope you're as blessed by this talk as I was. Here is part three of Simon's 2024 talk, The Power of the Holy Spirit. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Well, it's been such a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I'm so grateful for having been invited. And um, I'm not going to talk for too long, maybe about three hours, and then um, we're going to have a chance to respond to some of the things that we've been hearing and what God may have been saying to you. But let's read some from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Some of you will be familiar with the classic text of English philosophy, Wind in the Willows. And it begins, So this is a river, asks Mole. The river, corrects Rat. And you really live by the river? What a jolly life. By it and with it and on it and in it, says the Rat his brother and sister to me, and aunt and company and food and drink and washing. It's my world, and I don't want any other. What it hasn't got is not worth having, and what it doesn't know is not worth knowing. What times we've had together. And I want us to think about the river of God uh, this afternoon. The psalmist says there, is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Our worship was led by joy. Our worship should be marked by joy. When we know who we are, uh, 
when we understand who God is, when we realize for ourselves what he's done for us, and when we've received and live by and with and on that river. The first thing I want to underline for us this afternoon is this, that God's people are river people. And the river of God is to frame our lives. The Bible, near the beginning, has the head of the river in Eden. And it ends with a river in paradise. God wants our whole existence with him framed by the river. In Ezekiel 47, you'll know it well, we see this extraordinary river of God flowing out from the temple to the desert. The movement of God is always away to others, to the barrenness, to the dryness, to the emptiness, to the need, to the brokenness. The river of God moving away from beside the altar, moving out. And that river brings revelation of God and the provision of God and satisfaction. It's the mission of God and it transforms those marshes and the desert places, and it brings life and productivity and regeneration and industry. And that's how it should be in our life, with the river of God flowing into us. And that's how it should be in our ministry, with the river of God flowing out from us, bringing transformation In Ezekiel 47, the prophet is called to go up into the river in his ankles and his knees and then his waist and over his head. He's to go, in the words of C.S. Lewis in the last battle, further up and further in. Further up and further in. I've seen a strange thing over the years in ministry that often we begin in ministry, we begin in our journey with the Lord, head over heels, as it were, over our heads in the river. But actually, the longer we go in ministry, the shallower we can go. But in the economy of God, in the prophecy there, we're to go further up and further in. Was there ever a time in your life with the Lord and in your ministry when you were deeper into that river than you are now. And the invitation of God is always, come on, (laughs) there's more depths coming to the deep end with God. What is this river? Well, some consider it a literal river in a literal temple in a literal millennial reign. I don't mind if you believe that. I wrote a book on eschatology. I don't know what I think, but don't quote me on that. Um, I do know what I think, actually, but most interpret it figuratively. St. Ambrose rightly says it's the river of the Spirit. The Puritan John Owen said that it's the mission of God through the preaching of the gospel in the power of the Spirit. I love one writer who said this river is royal graces, kingly graces, It's the gifts of the king that flow out. Isaiah tells us that God will do a new thing 
like a river in a desert. I was reading Isaiah very early this morning, like not because I was righteous and religious up at four, but because I couldn't sleep. And again, I was reading about Isaiah and his river. The psalmist talked about a river of delights. And Job talks about a river of honey and cream. All of these different things are different ways to describe just the goodness of God that flows from beside the altar, beside from Christ, that flows by the Spirit out to the world. There's an American novelist called Mark Helpin, and he writes, A good river is nature's life work in song. And I think God's river is God's life work with his song that he sings over us and a song that elicits a song from us. There is a river. And God's people are to be river people. And we're to be marked by it and to live in and on it. And then secondly, Jesus is the headwater. He's the source of that river. All of the Old Testament images of the river are like spokes that lead us to Jesus. And he's the source of it. In John chapter 4, we read of that extraordinary encounter. You'll have read it endless times. You'll have preached on it many times. And Jesus has this amazing one-on-one with this Samaritan woman. And It seems she's had something of an eyebrow-raising past. And yet Jesus is going after her for her good. And he's, again, not interested in her past. He's interested in her future. And boy, what a future he's got for her. And he engages her in conversation. And as she draws up water from the well, he asks for a drink. She's taken aback. Who are you to, as a Jewish person, to ask me, a Samaritan, a male, to ask me, a woman, a rabbi, to engage in these things with the likes of me? And Jesus, having accepted a drink from her, says, Oh, if only you knew. If only the world knew who Jesus is. And what Jesus has for them, if only they knew. And our our role, our vocation as ministers is so that they know. We're to tell them. He says, whoever drinks, you'd ask me if you knew and I'd give you a drink. And whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst again. This water will well up to eternal life. Then a little later in John chapter 7, we read of Jesus at the Feast of the Booths. And uh, apparently on each of the seven days of the Feast of Booths, a priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam. Anyone been there? If you get a chance, you've got to visit these places. It's beautiful. And then the priest would collect the water and the crowds would join with him and they'd process back up to the temple and the water was poured into a golden bowl that fed through to the base of the of the altar. And this symbolic act was an act of thanksgiving to God. It was a petition for rain. But the rabbi said that it was a prophetic symbol that one day God would send his spirit. And it would flow out from this altar. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, as we know, the Lord Jesus 
stood up, even as the priest is pouring out the water, even as people are thinking, this represents one day God who's going to pour out his spirit upon us. Jesus stands up and says, is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? Because if you are, he says, you can come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture says, out of them streams of living water will flow. And John adds by this, he meant the Holy Spirit who was yet to be given. Jesus is the headwater. He is the source of that river. He is the one who bestows that spirit. He does it through his life. He does it through his death. Again, John pictures Jesus at the cross. And as he dies, following his death, he's pierced. And out of his side flowed a river of blood and water. There are two rivers. There is the river of blood that cleanses, that saves, that rescues, that delivers, that purchases our life with God. And then there is that river of the Spirit that renews and regenerates and transforms and vivifies us and empowers us for service. And out of Christ, from the side of Christ flows this river, from the altar at the side flowed that river in Ezekiel. When I was a teenager living in the West Country in England, uh, I took a week to trace the origin of a major river in England called called the River Dart. And it begins up on Dartmoor, just this marsh. And, and there I was with my come trying to find this little bubble, Lingbrook, where it all began. Where does the river come from? Where are we to find these graces? Where can we find this satisfaction and this fulfillment? We find it in Jesus. Again, I see strange things with people pursuing the Spirit, thinking they can get the Spirit bypassing Jesus. The Spirit flows from the cross, and the Spirit leads us to the cross. The Spirit flows from Jesus and leads us back to Jesus. He is the headwater. And the test for any renewal movement, any claim to the spirit, to a work of the Spirit is, is this about Jesus? The Spirit always promotes Jesus. The Spirit sublimates himself in the sun. The Spirit shines the spotlight on Jesus. When we receive the Spirit, there are two cries that the Spirit elicits. Neither of them are, oh, Spirit, Spirit. They are Abba, Father, and Jesus, his Lord. The Spirit comes from Jesus and takes us back to Jesus. But thirdly, the devil loves a desert. He loves a desert. And the devil wants people to live without the life-giving water of God. He wants the church not to live in and of and by the river. And he doesn't want us to offer that to the world. I was teaching in Germany a while ago, and I thought I'd preach on Psalm 46 because Martin Luther, this was his favorite psalm. It's called the Song of 
uh, the psalm for the Re- uh, Reformation, really. And you'll know the Germans are Ein Festeburg ist unser Gott, a mighty fortress is our God. It's the battle cry of the Reformation. Luther sang it as he went to trial at the Diet of Worms. So I said to the interpreter, I said, I'm going to preach on Psalm 46, and I want to say there is a river. What a wonderful thing. Not maybe, not could be, not I hope there might be. There is a river. The streams make glad the city of God. So I told this interpreter, he said, okay, and off he went. And then we were having worship just before I was up and at it, and he came over to me and said, he was all panicking. And he said, there is no river. I said, dude, there's a river. <laughs> he, said, he said, there is no, I said, there is a river. Somebody, there is a river. Your streams make glad the river. There is no river. I said, what do you want about? He said, this is the translation I've got. There is no river. And the word that they had there in his translation was Brunlein which means a spring. I said, dude, this is not a spring. This is a strong. This is a river, a flow. He says, I haven't got a river. I've only got a stream. So we were in trouble. Anyway, we, I said, keep worshipping, you know. And then I didn't say, but then look, he's going online. And I thought it was really strange. I had to preach a sermon, there is a river, when there wasn't a river. And they're in there. But anyway, I came home and I contacted in Oxford, Again, the Regis Professor of History. Regis Professor is like the King's Professor. It's the top professor in Britain of history, medieval history, called Professor Lyndall Roper. She's written an amazing book on Luther. And I said, is there a river? Why isn't there a river? What's going on with the river? She went and did her research, and she came back to me. And she said that in 1524, Luther's first translation, Luther had a river. And the word in German was strong, the stream, the flow, the tide, the current. The... And yet, a few years later, by 1534, he had removed the river, and all they had was a little trickle, a little spring. And we know Luther, uh, a great man, and the church is greatly indebted to him. His theology in later life became very hard and more fortress And I wonder if it's because he lost the river. We can lose the river. Luther lost the river. For generations, century on century, uh, there are modern translations in German that he used, but still today, one of the most common translations in Germany for this psalm does not have river. It just has a spring. There is a river. In the classic French film, Jean de Florette, anyone seen that or read the book? I see a hand. I see two. It's an amazing book, amazing story. There's a city slicker who inherits a farm. And he gives up his job as an accountant and he goes and takes on this farm that he's received. And he decides to make a real working go of it. And, um, using all his knowledge and, and, um, sort of administ- uh, sort of technical expertise and accounting. And he decides the way to make money is to breed rabbits because rabbits breed and there's money in rabbits. You can sell, eat the meat and you can have the fur and they 
they reap, they breed quick. So there's a lot of money out there. This is pragmatic. So he puts down these deep fences deep into the ground so foxes can't get in. And, um, he, uh, puts down a crop of lettuces and stuff to feed them. He buys a, a mating pair, and off they go, and boom, there are rabbits everywhere. And he's feeding them, and um, they're prospering, and it's going really well. And then the summer comes, and then the drought comes, and the water table drops, and his cistern drops, and he runs out of water. And without water, he can't water the crops, and the crops wither and die. And if the crops wither and die, he can't feed his rabbits, and they die, and there's no money to be made. And in the book and the film and the T-shirt, each morning he's seen early morning with his donkey, laden with milk churns and pots and pans and that, and he's going up over the mountain, and down into another valley, and he's collecting water, and at the end of the day, it does, he's coming back, and he's pouring the water into the cistern, taking it out, and trying to get his crops to come up to life in order to feed her up, but it just doesn't work day in, day out, hard work for a dribble, and there is no life, no productivity, no economy, it's just arid, barren, and dies. So he decides that he going to turn to the occult. People often turn to the occult when they fail to receive a fulfillment spiritually that only the church can offer and they haven't gone to it. But he goes for water dousing and he's on his land and he thinks he's found the right place and he, he uh, puts some explosives in the ground, lights it up and uh, a stone goes up in the air. And then he watches it go up, he watches it come down, thwack, smacks him in the temple, he drops down, and a few minutes later he's dead. It's one of those miserable French novels, you know. Um, but before he dies, he says, I failed to see that water was the one problem. And the tragedy of that film, of that story, Jean de Florette, was that there was a river all along. There was a river under the ground. But that neighbors who wanted to get the land cheap blocked the river up. So it stopped running through the land. And all he had then was the water table. There was a river all along. And the devil loves to block the river. He wants to block it in the world. But he wants to block it in the church. Because it's often mainly through the church that that river flows. He wants to block the river flowing into our lives, to flow into our congregations, to flow in and then to flow out of our churches. The devil loves a desert. God wants to turn a desert into a garden. The devil wants to reverse that. And the devil can block the river in our life. We can have known times when it was there. But whether overtly or covertly, whether through sin or through an attack, or there's many and varied ways that river can be reduced to a little spring, a trickle in us. And dear pastors, we're called to be those who minister the river of God. 
but we can't minister what we're not receiving and living by. And the question for us is, is there anything in our life that has blocked that river? Luther lost the river. I won't go into all the consequences of that, but I, I've, I've taught about it elsewhere. But in his early life, he, the, the heart of it was the gospel, but at the end of his life, it was just politics and power. And there was huge fallout in the Peasants' War with three anti-Semitic works that were dreadful. We need the river or we become bitter. I was on holiday in Normandy and I prayed, was praying one morning and I felt the Lord, this was again one of the three times he's spoken to me, I felt him say, I'm going to talk to you today. I'm going to show you something. I thought, what a strange thing. Why don't you just tell me? But I thought maybe he's going to show me somewhere, somewhere else and I'm not there. So I thought, where should we go to be shown something from God? But I wrote it in my journal. I just, the Lord's going to show me something today. Anyway, we went off for the day, went to Mont Saint-Michel and uh, went all the way up. Beautiful, beautiful, mystical kind of place. And was there with my two lads and, uh, we had a beautiful day, a wonderful summer holiday day. But I got back and thought, I'd, I don't know if I missed it, but I, there wasn't anything particular. It was just a good day, you know. And I thought you were going to talk to me anyway. That My boys were younger then, and they were down. Where we were staying in this jeet, at the bottom, there was almost like a little lake. And, um, and naturally fed into this large, large pond. Call it a pond. It's a pond. And... Um, they had beautiful carp in there. And my boys would like feeding the carp and that. Huge, great koi carp like that. 30 years old, you know. Anyway, I was, uh, again in the afternoon, I'd been driving, I lay on the bed and I said, Lord, I, I thought you were going to talk to me today, but if I missed it, I'm sorry. And, uh, at that point, my wife Tiffany shouts out, Simon, come quick. There's a fish in trouble. So I, I came down and uh, ran to the bottom and the water table, Augustine in the south of France, the water table just suddenly dropped. And there, stuck in the mud, this fat old tummy stuck in the mud, was this huge golden koi carp. It was, it was a belter, but it was dying. It was gasping for breath. And um, quick as a flash, I, I said to my uh, boy, I said, Go and get me a watering can. Go and get 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 me the dustbin lid. And um, they ran back with it, and I, I jumped in to the mud, and I picked up this thing, and I put it in the dustbin lid. And my other boy was there pouring this you know, sprinkling can over it. And, I, and then I, I just walked back through the mud, back down into where there was still some water, put it down, and the fish sort of, you know, came back and said, thank you very much, mate, I appreciate it. And, <laughs> Off it went, and it was beautiful. And, you know, my wife, she appreciated it. My boy said, it's my dad. And how would I, I got, you know, chest out, you know, anything else I can do while I'm here? <laughs> and um, sort of thing. And again, the Lord spoke to me. 
And he said, the fish is like the church. And uh, she's just swum into the mud. And she got stuck. And uh, she can be picked out by force and the occasional watering can of a renewal conference or something like that. But that isn't going to keep the thing alive. What is required is to be put back into the deeps. To be put back into the deeps. Over the next few days, every afternoon, we would go and we would see dead carp who hadn't been rescued by a heroic priest from the Church of England. <laughs> but, and they were just stuck, stuck in the mud and dead. And they weren't mine, because mine had a distinctive markings. The church can get stuck in the mud. We as ministers can get stuck in the mud. We're out of our depths when we're not in the depths of the river of God. And there is a river. There really is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And we need to make sure that we ourselves are swimming there and just lapping it up. And that we're directing others to that river that comes through Jesus. And that is all we have for you from Simon Ponsonby. I hope you have been deeply blessed by Simon's messages today. Don't forget we have talks like these in person about once a quarter here in the Portland metro area. The content is always great, but honestly, the real highlight of these gospel gatherings is being together in person with other pastors, leaders, and Jesus followers from all around our area. So don't miss them. Go to togetherpdx.org slash events to find information and registration for the next one. See you next time.